Well, last week, I have been just uh, reminiscing about the, our, our gathering together last week as God broke in in this place in a marvelous way. And that moment that we begin to sing about the bride being ready, being made ready, it was a mix of a beautiful moment of saying, hey, uh, we're ready for you to come, but also conviction. We are not ready for you to come. Did anybody else feel that in the house? And Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And so I, I preached out of Ephesians chapter 5. I want today to conclude dove, dovetailing really off of last week, but also concluding and hopefully in a clear kind of a way, uh, the uh, Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11. So turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and I want to read just one verse. I want to read verse 4 together as we uh, listen to what the Lord would say. Verse 4, Jesus is praying. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. And he says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for ministering to your people by your word this morning. Your word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that it will go into our hearts and divide even our thoughts and teach us and train us. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Praise the Lord. When Philip was, or when uh when Jesus gave us that great scripture in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the most well-known verse on the planet. And for good reason, amen? But it goes on, and it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, then verse 18 says this. He who believes in him is not condemned. Now, I want you to know there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that are not condemned and those that are. How many of you used to be in the latter category? You used to be one that was condemned. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I think, I think that the world often views the, the church 
through a lens of arrogance because we say things like this. I'm not condemned, but you are. That's a difficult thing to say, isn't it? It's, it's a message that isn't often received. Jesus said it, though. He said, if you don't believe in me, you stand condemned already. But the one that believes in me, that receives the free gift of John 3.16, that condemnation is lifted off, praise God. I was on a Facebook conversation with a young man that was offended because a Christian, a Christian, uh, in fact, it was a Christian and this, this uh, uh, gentleman talking, and the Christian said, I, I just thank God that I'm not lost anymore like you. And he didn't take that too kindly. He said, lost? What do you mean? I don't feel lost. You see, this is terminology that we sometimes sling around that people don't understand. You, under, you know what I mean? But the truth is that every single one of us stand condemned without the work of Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about this. Uh, Jesus in his prayer says, forgive us our sins. I want to give us a definition of sin this morning. And the, the, uh, the Greek word is hamartia or hamartia. And it means to miss the mark. Or to err, it is the same. Uh, it is the same word that uh, archers use when hitting a target or missing a target. When they miss the target, they hamartia in the Greek. They miss the mark. It means to be mistaken or to wander from the path of of uprightness and honor. To go away from the law of God. To violate God's law. To sin uh, in doing wrong, in committing an offense, a violation of divine law, and so on, and so on. So you get the picture of what sin is. Sin uh, separates us from God. Mankind did not know sin until they were, until uh, Eve was deceived and Adam rebelled in the garden. And when sin entered into the world, they suddenly realized that they were naked, they were afraid, and they hid from God. And the glory that was on them came off. And they were separated from God. And before, when God would come down in the cool of the day, and he would, he would fellowship with Adam and Eve, now he came down and he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? You're not here to meet with me. And God knew where he was, but Adam needed to answer the question. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. That's what Adam said. And that is what sin does. It separates us from God. Now we, uh, 6,000 years later, from, from Adam, we uh, are born into sin. We did, not have that, uh, we did not have that experience that Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve knew the deep fellowship of God. They knew him face to face. They heard his voice. They walked with him in the cool of the day of the garden. They regularly fellowshiped with him, and then they were cut off. You and I don't experience that it that way. We're the descendants. We're born into sin. And so however you were raised, you may be aware of it or you may not. 
But all mankind has fallen short of the glory of God. All mankind has sin on their lives and is separated from God except for one, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And so what does sin do? Let me read some verses if you can keep up with me. If not, uh, just write these verses down and you can read them later. First, sin causes us to live under a curse. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way of which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And so there is a curse on our lives when we're chasing other gods and we're not serving him. But I have good news for those that are under a curse because, uh, because Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. Hallelujah. And so the curse that is on us because of sin is lifted off of us because of the cross. Hallelujah. That's good news. Praise God. What else does sin do? Sin causes us to miss heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 say that, says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I want, I want you to know that some of those things on that list apply to me. Some of those things on that list apply to you. Guess what I've been in my life? I've been a thief. Guess what I've been in my life? I've been covetous. I've been uh, uh, many things on this very list, and it says, if you are these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? There's sin on my life. God is a holy God. There's sin on my life. And so I am separated from heaven. Is this okay if I preach very simply this morning? Sin causes me to be separated from heaven. But I have good news because it, uh, the 1 Corinthians chapter 6 did not stop with verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 goes on to verse 10. Verse 9, it concludes, and such were some of you. You were these things. But, verse 10 says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This means that my sin has been washed away. It has been paid for, and I have been justified just as if I had never sinned. Amen? And, and, and I have been made that way by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. What else does sin do? Sin causes us to die. God created Adam and Eve to live forever, but when sin entered into their life, death entered into their life. And so it's first expressed in physical death. And they used to live longer, but after the flood, God limited their days to 120 years. 
That doesn't mean you will live 120 years. That means that's the maximum. You get as healthy as you can get. You have as good a genes as you possibly can. 120 years is the limit. I think the oldest one I ever knew was Sister Sablotny. We did her funeral at 102. Physical death. But more than that, and, and, and uh, with regard to physical death, one day physical death will be defeated as well. It's the last enemy to be swallowed up. And when it's swallowed up, we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. But spiritual death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. James 1.15 says when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And ultimately, without Christ, this is what happens in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, liars, uh, which shall have their part, in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And this is where fire and brimstone preachers come from. And uh, a lot of people are resistant to fire and brimstone preachers. But they are telling the truth. That without Christ, this is the destiny that every one of us has. But I have good news concerning spiritual death. Because I only read the first part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the second part of Romans 6.23 is good news. Hallelujah. Because it says this, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can somebody give praise to God? Hallelujah. And so sin does these things, but Jesus undid them all at the cross. And that's the reason he came. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. He does not want to condemn anybody. 1 Peter 5 says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Christ Jesus. God does not delight in condemning anybody. He does not want to. That's why he sent his son to rescue us. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us. Forgive. And I love this word forgive. Aphaimi. Aphaimi, the Greek word forgive. It's the same word that they use when they use, say the word to leave, and he left the house. Aphaimi. It's the same word that they use, and I really like this one. Divorce, the same word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 17, 
It says, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. He's talking about that. Forgive is the exact same word as divorce. Well, why is that? Why is that? Because through Adam, you and I are in an unholy covenant with sin. And when we say, God, forgive me, we are asking God to break that unholy covenant with sin and set us free. Isn't that good? God, forgive me. Forgive me from my sin. Let the bondage that is created in me because of sin, and it is a legal bondage. In fact, uh, the transaction at the cross is a legal transaction. It's a legal transaction. In the court of heaven, it holds up. Hallelujah. Where we were guilty, but Jesus steps forth in a legal manner and says, I am taking their guilt on me. You see, the Father cannot just forgive. Somebody has to pay the price. When you go to Menards, if you used to be a thief and you saw something small that would fit in your pocket and you looked around and nobody was watching and you stuck it in your pocket and you, and you thought that, that uh, you know, I got this free screwdriver and it's in my pocket now and I'm leaving Menards and you don't get caught. And you think that nobody pays the price for what you did because you got it for free. But somebody paid the price. And in this case of our example, it was Menards that paid the price. Your thievery forced Menards to pay for the screwdriver that you, that you stole. Somebody always pays. Somebody always pays. And so God can't just say, oh, you're forgiven. He can't do that because sin requires payment. And so Jesus, in his love for us, stepped forward and said, I'll pay the bill. Hallelujah. I'll pay the bill. This is good, isn't it? I'll pay the bill. And that legal grip that sin had on you, when Jesus steps forward and says, I'll pay the bill, that legal grip is broken. Hallelujah. And so we're saying, Father, divorce me from my sin. Hallelujah. I now have a new husband, and his name is Jesus. I'm the bride of Christ. I have a new legal covenant with Christ. Hallelujah. I am saved. I am born again. Praise the Lord. Father, forgive me. Glory to God. Woo! A legal contract. I'm forgiven. We sang that song, I'm forgiven. Your forgiveness, your forgiveness cost Jesus his life. 
for a moment, I want us all to go back to our pre-salvation days before you met Christ and think about sit in your seat right now as a sinner. And for most of your life, before you met Christ, you didn't feel condemned. You didn't feel lost. You didn't feel like, hey, I'm doing this all wrong. You didn't feel any of that. In fact, there's a whole lot of pleasure. There's a whole lot of life to live. You, you uh, went here and you went there and you did this and you did that. You didn't feel all of these things. And that, friend, is the deception of the enemy to keep people in the dark from the truth. It's why the message of the gospel is so important to be preached. We have an increasing number of Americans that have never heard the gospel. The gospel is not religious people saying, we're better than you, come be like us. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, is, us, is us realizing Jesus is the only hope for, for me, for you, for anybody. And I want you to find the forgiveness and the freedom and the mercy that I've found. We're praying that a God consciousness would grip America, that people would no longer feel content or happy in their sin, but that they would realize, each one, that we need a Savior. Because in this regard, there's only one kind of person. Every single one of us needs a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Solomon dedicated the temple in the Old Testament. And I want to talk about the mercy of God. One of my prayers for people, and this feels cruel, but one of my prayers for people is that they will not remain content away from God. Well, don't you want people to be happy? Not if they're away from God, I don't. Because it's that unhappiness that moves people. When people are 100% content and everything's going just fine according to their own eyes, they do not move. They stay where they are. And I pray, God, move. Move on people. And that's what Solomon prayed. I'm not going to read his whole prayer, but it's in, it's in 1 Kings chapter 8. Let me read a portion of Solomon's prayer that he prayed when the temple was being dedicated that he, had, that he had built for the Lord. In verse 33, he says, When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you. Do you know that a lot of times... God allows you to be defeated because there's sin in your life. Well, what is he trying to do? Does he want you to be defeated? No, but he doesn't want you to stay in your sin either. And so he allows you to be defeated because there's sin in your life. 
And, and then Solomon goes on and says, when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people. Isn't that awesome? That's the mercy of God. Verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. Now, does this mean that every time it doesn't rain out that it's because of sin? No, I don't believe that. But I do believe that there are times when, when uh, people are sinning and because of their sin, the, the judgment of drought will come upon them. And when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servant. Verse 37, when there is famine in the land, pestilence, blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, when their enemy besages them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, uh, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone, now l listen to this, or by your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart. Wow. So there was plague and famine and everything in the physical, but was that the root cause? No, the root cause was the plague of the heart. My heart is far from God. Oh, and so when each one knows that, spreads out his hands toward the temple, then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive. And then finally, verse 46, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy. Solomon had no idea what was going to happen. This very thing happened. Yet when they come to themselves, I love that. When they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and pray, make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We've committed wickedness. When they return to you with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave them to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And it goes on. I want to thank God that in people's sin, he does not allow them to remain content. That's the gift of God. That's his mercy. That's his mercy. Why? to get men to turn to the Lord. In Luke chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, verse 36. 
And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, how many of you know everybody in that whole city was a sinner? (laughs) But this one had a reputation, and so they labeled her the sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. The anointing is here in this room right now. She kissed his feet and anointed his feet with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged And then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Friends, there is a blessing that comes upon the life of a person who has been forgiven. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the man, blessed is he, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, 
and whose spirit is no deceit. Every single one of us, if we really understood how much we've been forgiven, it would change our perspective on everything. We've been forgiven much. We're like this woman. And perhaps we weren't sexually immoral all over town like this woman had a reputation being a prostitute. Perhaps it wasn't outward and public and known. The amount of stuff that Jesus has washed me clean from. I'm free. And I'm forgiven. In Isaiah chapter 1, God invites the people and says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Have you ever met anybody who in their shame said, oh, I've done too much for God to forgive me? I've met a lot of people that feel that way. People tend to fall on one side of the spectrum. They either feel like, oh, I've not done anything wrong. I'm a good person. Or they think, I've done too much to be forgiven. But God says, let's reason together. Your sins are like scarlet they are. But if you'll come to me, I'll wash them whiter than snow. Hallelujah. Though they're red like crimson, you shall be white like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you continue to refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Forgiven. When you're forgiven and you realize it, then the small things that men have done to you seem insignificant. And so Jesus said, for us to pray, forgive those who trespass against us. God, forgive us and forgive those who have sinned against us. That's a key second part, isn't it? So we have the debt canceled. Hallelujah. We're on our way to heaven. The curse is broken. I'm part of the family of God. I'm, I'm not on my way to hell. I'm on my way to heaven. Praise God. I've got a new legal contract with my Savior, Jesus. No, I'm not going to forgive you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, if you forgive men their trespasses against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Friends, this is big. This is as basic as it gets in the church. Forgive one another. Paul said it again and again and again. I found it in Galatians and Romans and different places, but the, the, the verse says that basically the same thing. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now in the church... If you're in it long enough, you're going to have people fail you. It's just the way that it is. You're going to have perhaps even your pastor fail you. But how do we walk together through it all? We be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. That's the unity of the believer. And so here's what happens. Somebody sins against you. You're not wrong. They are. And so guess what you have? You have the upper hand in a spiritual, legal contract. And you can use that to your advantage. And if you're still using it to your advantage, that contract still exists. You can use it to your advantage. Or, because Jesus broke the spiritual contract with sin in your life, you can break it in the people that have wronged you. Hallelujah. And that's what forgiveness is. That's what it is. People wronged you. And some of the, some of the things are small little schisms. And they're, they're small little, well, he looked at me wrong. She looked at me wrong. She didn't, didn't talk to me. Blah, 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 blah. And they're small, but they still matter, friends. We have got to be kind one to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Amen? Now, there are some major, major contracts where people have seriously wronged us. And friend, I'm not telling you that, that it's easy. I'm not telling you that you won't need somebody to walk with you through it. I'm not telling you that, uh, friends, who thinks the cross was easy for Jesus? It's not going to be easy for you to forgive some, some wrongs that have been done to you. But I'm telling you, when you cancel the contract, not, not only will that person have the potential to find freedom, you will be free. Hallelujah. 
And so whatever it takes, if you've got to walk down a road of, of uh, pastoral counseling or walk down a road of getting a friend beside you saying, pray with me about this. I, I'm carrying this burden of, of uh, anger and, and I'm inflamed against this person for what they did. In fact, I've, 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 uh, I've left a church because of it. I've done this. I've done that to just push them out of my life, but it's still there. Of course, it's still there. The legal contract is still there. But will you pray with me? Friend, it is worth every step that you need to take to get to the place of genuine forgiveness. If we don't forgive, God can't forgive us. How many times should I forgive my brother seven times that's the question Peter asked and in his culture it was like saying a thousand times seven was a lot and that today brothers and sisters growing up in a household have to forgive each other that many times in an hour and Jesus said to him I say to you Peter not seven times, but seven times 70. And he didn't mean, Jesus didn't mean 490 times. Keep track, and when you get to 491, that's it. No, he was saying, this is a continual, forever thing. There was a king who wanted to settle accounts. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Friends, that's you and me. We have an account that we cannot pay, 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all he had, and that payment be made. You're going to pay with your own life, with the life of your family, everything that you've got, and I'm going to get my 10,000 talents. But he said, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. He knew he could never pay, but he forgave him the debt. And the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned him a 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is a significant amount of money for the average Jewish person. That was 100 days' wages. Not impossible, but very big. It takes a long time to pay that back. But he laid hands on him and shook him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me now. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and had him thrown in prison until he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and went back and told their master what had happened. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. 
And then he says these chilling words. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you if from your heart you do not forgive your brothers their trespasses. Wow. Wow. Forgive. So this morning, we're coming to the cross. We're coming to communion. Cammie, I left my communion down there on that table. I'm going to ask if the team would come and just begin to play that song, I Am Forgiven. And we, we, come to the, we come to communion where the Bible says a man ought to examine himself. If you, if you need communion, um, the basket is right back there. Um, sorry about that. That's several. Thanks, Adam, for helping us there. We'll just wait a moment. Thank you, Jesus. We serve open communion here. That means anybody, you don't have to be a member of this church or a member of the Assemblies of God or any of that. You have to be a son or a daughter of the King. Following Him. You're a follower of Jesus. And so we come to the Lord today to celebrate forgiveness. I'm forgiven. Everything that I've ever done, every thought, every action is paid for because of the cross. This is the message of the gospel. It's why Jesus came. God so loved the smiles the goods ever till I may should not perish. Sin atoned for. I skipped that part of the message, friends, because but I but Psalm 32 it says, Blessed is the man, and I skipped the part where. I talked about what that word blessed means. It is an overwhelming, abundant word. Phenomenal. Because your sin is atoned for. And so for a few moments this morning before we partake together, let's just close our eyes. And just when the, in the sincerity of your own heart, say, just talk with the Lord.
just give him your thanks right now for being forgiven.